Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you may be listening around the world. My name is David Pembroke, and thanks again for joining us in Transition, the podcast dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. I'm very pleased to be with you again today, and I have to say that I'm having so much fun bringing you the insights and the wisdom of some of the most interesting people in the world of content marketing in government. Some of you mightn't be aware, but I spent 10 years as a reporter for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation in both current affairs and sport. And one of the things I really, really loved about that job was the role that you got to talk to people every day. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's conversations with interesting people. And today, I've got a real treat for you, a great character of the Australian government. But before I do introduce my guest, you know what's coming. It's definition time. Because while content marketing is an old practice, it's a new name, and it's fair to say that people are still familiarising themselves with just exactly what it is. And one of the other issues for a government audience is the word marketing. Marketing is considered by many to be something that the private sector does in selling things, you know, products, goods, and services. But as we all know, The challenge of selling the benefits of ideas, decisions, policies and programs to citizens is fundamentally at the heart of the work of any democratically elected government. And as we know in Australia, it is perhaps the current government's biggest challenge. So to the definition, which is an adaptation of the Content Marketing Institute's definition of content marketing, and that is that content marketing is a strategic and measurable business process that relies on the curation, creation, and distribution of valuable, relevant, and consistent content to engage and inform a clearly defined audience with the objective of driving a desired citizen or stakeholder action. So, to today's guest, I promised you a character, and here he is, Mr. John Sheridan, the Australian Government's Chief Technology Officer. Now, there is much that we will explore today with John, including the growing importance of the link between government storytelling and information technology. But before we get to that, rather than me go through the John Sheridan story, John, why don't you tell us the potted history of how it is that you got to be here today? I'm very happy to. The um, story starts, I think, with working in the Army for a very long period of time, 22 years. At the end of that work, I moved sideways into defence, into the public service. I continued in the Defence Science and Technology Organisation for a couple of years, six years, I think, all up in in uniform and out. And then I went to the Defence Senior Executive Service into IT. I worked there for a couple of years and then in 2008 came across to finance to work in the whole of government IT. Area where I've really stayed since 2008. What did the life in the army teach you? Um, I think it teaches you first of all that there are reasons to follow processes and procedures, but they are really a a guideline um, of the boundaries in in which you can work. There's lots of room in the army, I think, for using your initiative 
for checking out new ways of doing things, for exploring options and doing that sort of stuff, those things are actually really encouraged in the army. And I think the ability to do that, knowing, of course, that no one joins the army without the notion that they'll have to do what they're told, but within those broad boundaries, there's lots of scope for doing things. And I really like that, and I think the public service can be very much the same. Mm. Were, were you always interested in technology? Yeah, I built my first computer unsuccessfully when I was 12, and I learned a lot about project management, um, soldering, um, a range of procurement, a range of issues like that. Yes. Yeah. And has it been uh, that real passion that's driven you, that, tech, that love of technology that's driven your career? Oh, so I really like technology, but I like... I mean, I've been lucky in my career, both in the army and the public service, to have really good jobs pursuing what I like doing. Uh, and I've been passionate about all of them. I don't think I've ever had a job I didn't like or a subject to work with that I wasn't passionate about. But now, what a job that you've got now. You are the Chief Technology Officer for the Australian Government. Tremendous job. Well, it is. I think it's a very good job and I particularly enjoy it. It has lots of scope for doing a range of things. The way that the, the CTO role is done in different organisations and indeed in different governments varies quite considerably. My job concentrates around providing whole-of-government services in, in IT, things that all departments might use, and also things that, uh, pr procuring things centrally so that all departments can get the benefits of um, aggregation of uh, demand economies of scale and things like that. So it's a slightly different job, for example, than the CTO in the US government, who's an advocate for technology, has a relatively small staff and is an advisor to the um, president. Okay, let's, let's jump right into this. Why don't technology people like marketing people? We like to be like everybody else. What do you mean by that? No one likes marketing people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, righto, let's unpick that. Why? What particular so, parts so, of it don't so, you so like I'm, about I'm like... really against generalisations. Okay. Um, there are people who, who work in IT and, and increasingly these days they might not have started in IT and they might not have finished in IT. So I don't think the notion that you can be identified as an IT person is a particularly strong one. I really like the Big Bang Theory but we're not all nerds. Um, it's just not like that. People use IT increasingly all the time now. If you look at the, the way I've got... Um, Three kids, um, 19, 21 and um, 20 or going on 25, um, going on 26 rather. Um, if you, you look at what they're doing with technology, they have the same interest in technology and they use it as a tool just as you or I would drive a car. Now, some people know what happens under the bonnet of the car. Some people know to put petrol in and there are a range of people who don't even know that, but they're still able to drive them and things like that. The attitudes that people have to have technology today is much more that it's a tool. As we were, you know, you mentioned the notion of being able to do your own content in a little studio like this with technology um, empowered by that, it, you know, it's almost as, as an aside. The things that you can do on a, on an iPhone or, or a, an Android phone or something like that today, that amount of computing technology that's available to people who don't need to understand IT is enormous. And I, and I think that's useful to, 
to realise that there are this this whole way of working with technology that doesn't require you to be an IT person per se. But perhaps I suppose that what I'm trying to get at is is the that marketing storytelling function within government and technology. That increasingly they're going to come together because marketing will become a technology business or or it is a, increasingly a technology uh, business. But there there seems to me anyway a, a bit of tension, and it's not just in the public service. It's just everywhere that there there seems to be perhaps uh, a lack of understanding that the the ICT people don't quite understand what the marketing people are doing and the marketing people really don't quite understand what the ICT people are doing and therefore there's a little bit of a disconnect as we move down this path being all driven along by technology and therefore perhaps we're not working as effectively and efficiently as we need to um, as we take on this great gift of technology where we all can be publishers and we can all create content and go direct to the audiences that we're seeking to engage. There's no doubt, I think, that that we can always do things better in terms of efficiency or effectiveness. I think um, most people in business these days, whether it's government or outside government, realise that just about every job is a selling job at some time or another. You're always going to be advocating for a policy that you believe in or an organisation arrangement or a change or a disruption. You you're going to have a role in selling your story. And a lot of that is about um, marketing in a, in a positive sense, I think, not in the, some of the negative connotations that you might see in other circumstances. So all those jobs are involved in, in those things. And, and as I said, I think are some of those lines becoming a bit blurred as a consequence of that? Yes. Um, can we learn from specialists in particular fields? Yeah, of course we can. How well do you think... Uh technology is being propagated across the public service as a way of being able to help the government to tell its story? Well, so I think there's a whole range of use of technology um, from very simple things to to very advanced things across government. Um, I, I think, you know, you wouldn't be surprised to hear me say that I think government, you know, the public service does its job um, very well. There are demanding circumstances of it. There are things one has to do in order to um, satisfy the, the executive government, the government, um, the elected government of what needs to be done and things like that. But I think technology plays a good part in, in working across those things. Now, the, the nature of technology, the, the cycles of change that are involved in it, the notion that, you know, you can be aware of your mobile phone, the chances of it being um, changing every year in terms of there being an update or something like that really drives this pressure for new technology. And and indeed, referring back to marketing for a moment, you can see how sometimes that marketing can confuse people because they can be selling the latest, shiniest thing sometimes when it's still being assembled in the factory, uh, wherever it is, and people can be asking you, why haven't you brought this on or why haven't you brought that in? Well, it might not be the most effective and efficient use of public money to do some of those things. Some things can work for some considerable time. And I think we see that in terms of priority setting across government to make sure that we make appropriate technology decisions and employ new technologies at the right time, not just at the first opportunity. What are some what, what's some advice that you might give to the marketing and storytelling people across governments, not only here in Australia but around the world? What are some of the things that they need to understand about the changes in technology in order that they can do their job better? Well, I think 
I'm a bit loath to give advice to people generally uh, um, about these these sort of broad subjects. But the first thing I'd say is, first of all, recognise that people like you, marketing people in in other companies, in technology companies, are doing their best to sell their products. And in selling their products, maybe they're hyping them up just a bit. Um, and maybe some of the ring things you read in the in the business news, the business magazine, in the in the airport lounge, some of the th- things you see in technology websites online, things like that, may just be overplaying the good and underplaying the bad in terms of doing things. Um, th- the question is, you know, I think, well, what can you u- be using technology for? There are new opportunities every day in using technology. The notion, and I think it's a good one, of being your own publisher. The notion that that government, for example, is in a position now to, to instead of the old process um, of, you know, the minister's office releases a media release, which then is, you know, absorbed by uh, journalists and, and they write a, a story around that and they pick the bits they like out of it and stuff like that and produce their own content and the public get to see that and rarely see the media release itself. Now, of course, that methodology has changed and government, both ministers and, and indeed public servants in departments, have an ability now to use largely social media channels to get their, that message out undiluted by the biases, good or bad, of the, the reporter in, in the middleman. You know, I, I like the analogy that says in the sort of 70s and 80s, um, we did a lot of work in, in the public service generally, but across the world, in pulling out middle management about saying this is a bunch of people who aren't adding particular value given that we can now get reporting streams that run straight up to the executive and things like that, we don't need that middle layer. Now, I think to a certain extent that that... that that sort of journalism middle layer that doesn't provide, um, you know, doesn't add value, if you like, or, or provide some sort of undeclared bias, that layer is to a certain extent not necessary for government in order to get its message out now. And that provides all sorts of new advantages that we didn't have previously. And what are some of the challenges, though, of taking uh, and making best use of that particular gift of being able to go direct? Well, the, um, the first is the obvious. The notion of going to something directly means it reduces the number of steps there are to catch mistakes. And I think that's probably the obvious one. Um, the, you know, what, what do we know about what gets reported generally? Um, you don't read the news to hear good stories about government. Um, people don't come to government websites to enjoy themselves or, or, or those sorts of things. They're going to government websites for a service and they want that service as quickly as they can get it. They want it very, very clear. They want a great user experience and they want to go and get on with their lives. What the the sort of the notion that, that you'll get this in-depth discussion or something going on isn't going to occur in that way. So you need to craft your message in government very carefully to make sure that you're hitting those points, that you understand what it is that you're doing. When mistakes are made, you need a mechanism to cover that mistake and think, well, okay, you know, yes, we made a mistake. What have we done about it? We've done these things immediately. You know, that's the way it goes. And you need to realise, of course, that it's much more likely that those mistakes are going to be reported than the 99.9% of the time that you're doing good work for the public. How well do you think the Australian government in particular are doing that at the moment, taking this opportunity to go direct? Well, so I'm going to talk um, 
just about what the public service um, is doing in that regard. Clearly, but for the avoidance of doubt, I'm not talking about what the government in the sense of ministers or or anything like that is doing uh, um, at all. So I think the public service is increasingly using these things to get the message across and to contact people. There are some really good examples in, in the Department of Human Services where dealing with social media has allowed them to get the message out to their clients, citizens, stakeholders, however you want to do it, in a range of ways. Um, Hank Yongan, the spokesman for DHS, is a great user of um, social media. Um, There are some really good Facebook pages um, run by government organisations to get those messages across and to target those sorts of um, those sorts of audiences. And, and I think we're seeing that increasingly. The, um, the, the number of Twitter accounts there are in DFAT, for example, not quite one per embassy or something like that. I don't have the exact number in my head, but there's a lot of that work and people using that to get messages out about what's going on, um, the things that they're responsible for and how to send those messages out to their client groups. And, and there's a whole bunch of yeah, uh, I, things I, like that. T- yeah. And I, I watched you uh, in a podcast, you, you mentioned... Uh, I think it was the Australian Bureau of Statistics, um, I think through the, the last census they yeah, did some great 2011, work. Yeah. Which is up running again, that Twitter account, still yeah, putting out good stuff. Yeah. And Tourism Australia are fabulous. The platform that they've built uh, and the way that they use content to engage people is, is fabulous. You know, really, and, really and indeed, we see, world leading. we see all the time that their sites get the most... Um, the nice Twitter responses and things like that. They're doing a great job. Yeah. Okay, just sort of weaving ourselves back towards the sort of technology component, again, trying to, you know, talk to, to the audience now about, you know, getting them to understand about how important technology is to marketing as people increasingly want personalisation, they want better services. Marketing automation is a, is a massive issue that's emerging, not just in the public service, but everywhere around the world. What's your views about marketing automation and, and how it will be integrated into the processes and the technology processes of government? I think the interaction between sort of marketing data about your potential clients and the use of technology to move those things around is really quite interesting. The the notion of your favourite online bookstore, knowing what it is that you buy and being able to send you emails to say, well, you might be interested in this. Now, there are people who clearly don't like that notion. They they see it as a bit big brotherish and and stuff like that. But, gee, I, I don't know, it suits me. Um, for example, yeah. we're seeing um, examples now. I think over overseas, where there are billboards, electronic billboards that can actually pick up the passerby and say, um, you know, hey, you in the black Mercedes, wouldn't you rather be driving an Audi or something like that? You know, th- th- those sorts of things, mm-hmm. and and that notion of content changing to meet the users is a really interesting one. Now, the, the, the challenge, I think, for marketers in that regard is given this technology resource, given this ability to quite personalise things, do that. how do you manage that without running into this privacy issue, without making sure that you've, um, you know, you've done things the, 
in the right way. There's a, a famous um, discussion in this area of the um, the chain store, the the department store in the in a US town, who oh, yeah. sends the you know the brochure out to the, this family about things that women in their second trimester of pregnancy might need to a 15 year old, and the father goes in really mad with the, the store. Store's really upset. Comes back a week later and says, "Well, actually, it turns out you know more about my daughter than I did." Um, th- this notion of using that big data effect to, to see trends in customers, to see what people do. If, you, if they buy this, they buy that. Um, this is what motivates them to do things. This is what attracts them. There's an enormous amount of potential to get that. But we have to balance this need, and government has to particularly balance this need of privacy and, and reasonableness, a- avoid intruding unnecessarily into people's lives um, around those sorts of things. So it's a delicate balance. Yeah, to it's be a maintained. tricky one. How, how then do you manage that? What, what's the framework, do you think, to, to manage that? Well, so, so we have, um, and this isn't my area of expertise, but there are Australian privacy principles that govern what government does, and indeed govern what a whole bunch of other organisations do as well, but govern what the public service does are about how we use data for those circuit, for, you know, for a whole range of things. What you can do with data, what access you have to give to people to their data, how they might be required, might want to verify it and test those sorts of things. So there's a range of rules um, that, that are really quite clear around what can go on in that area. Yeah, and it just in terms of data, and I think for a lot of, you know, journalists, storytellers, marketers, you know, mathematic, you know, you're in that business because you're probably not sort of mathematically inclined. Uh, what's what's your view in how to sort of get better at trying to to use the technology to find those insights that are going to allow you to create better content? So, so I think there's there's a category that that we see more now. You know, three or four years ago, you'd hardly see it at all of the data journalist who might be reporting on those sorts of uh, uh, things. Um, you know, who, who's able to take some of the 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 data that you know, open data that we provide um, online through data.gov.au and make draw conclusions about that. Um, Make make um, assumptions about uh, what's occurring and where the government is spending its money, for example, or what's happening in particular areas, and make sort of decisions around that. Now, um, is there an easy answer to um, you know to doing this yourself? Um, Maybe you know there are lots of sources of, of of available open data for things, but of course some of this not in a government sense so much, but in the sense of what organisations might want to protect is particularly important to them. You know their stores of um, data da- data are very very important to them, and I think you've, you've got to recognise that some of that's not going to be accessible. I mean, uh, it, it may well be that 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 store of customer data is the equivalent in you know the 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 2010s or or whatever the decade we're in now is that you might have got when you were buying the goodwill of a store name in 2000 in in 1990 or something like that that notion that this is a new form of goodwill that you're ta- that you're tapping into um, and is a very valuable resource just in terms of just to maybe perhaps draw your attention away from a moment from domestically and what's happening here in Australia I know uh, in the UK there's been a massive transformation project uh, in the public service across all sorts of areas. In your particular area of interest, uh, what's your views on what's gone on in the UK and do you believe that 
they are leading the way because I, I certainly believe that in in the storytelling communication space they've made enormous uh, steps forward in the last few years. But would you see, see it as the same way in, in the digital technology space? So, so if you look at what the, the government digital service, what Mike Bracken and Liam Maxwell have done over there, they've certainly changed the way that information and services are being presented to the public. Um, they've also, as it happens... Uh, been empowered to do a lot of work in saving money in terms of IT and things like that. Something that, that frankly, in that sort of money-saving sense, the Australian government was well ahead in that regard. We, we didn't have a lot of the issues they had with expenditure and procurement. But putting those aside, this digital space, the notion of addressing what it is that people want and providing it to them quickly very important. You might be familiar with the notion of the um, the bounce rate on on websites. That that you know the, the question is how long you know how long are people on the page for? What do they do and things like that. So one of the stories early on in the work that was done in in gov.uk was recognising through the a- analysis of data through looking at what happens that a lot of people were coming to the site and searching for the VAT rate, the GST tax rate. Um, and they discovered this and said, well, okay, we've got so many people searching that, we'll put it on the front page. So if you go to the, you know, the, gov- the government site to find the VAT rate, there it is blinking right in front of you, got it right, I've got that, I'm off. Now, you're not dwelling on the page, you're not having to search through it or anything else like that. It's there, it's this notion of providing the service, giving the people what they want in a really good user experience and moving back out again. And, and I think that's fine. Most people aren't going to be coming to government services, um, and, I, and I think the gov.uk guys realise this, um, browsing from the top down necessarily to find something. They're going to type what they want into their favourite search engine. They're going to come in laterally in a site in order to find that service or that information. They'll want to get that right away and go back out again. Mm. And I think that's the sort of lesson we're learning about that. Yeah, and in terms of adapting, learning from the UK, will be will Australia be following that model, do you believe? Well, we work quite closely with our colleagues over there. We've exchanged lots of discussions. I've met Mike and Liam several times um, here and, and, and there and talked to them. Uh, you know, we, I talk on the phone to them and via um, email and stuff like that regularly. And a lot of my colleagues are doing work in this, in this area as well. So it's clearly something that the government wants us to do. It's pre-election commitments around... Um, digital services and digital service off, um, offerings are very clear and we're all working to improve those things. Fantastic. Okay, just so what's next? What's the sort of focus for, for John Sheridan and his team over the next, say, six to 12 months in terms of technology and perhaps in terms of technology as it relates to telling the government story? Yeah, so um, we're doing a lot of work in australia.gov.au at the moment. We have a beta site up that people can go and look at. We've put that uh, platform, and I, I guess we're doing a bit of a deep dive into technology now. We moved australia.gov.au onto the Drupal open source um, web content management platform um, in 2013. We then moved it to the public cloud um, in November 19, uh, 2014, and we're expanding the what we call GovCMS, which is a a whole of government, not mandated, but a whole of government content management system based in Drupal in the public cloud that allows agencies to get their websites um, up 
better, looks after the security for them, looks after the accessibility for them, gives them, helps them with the sort of areas of user experience and things like that. And that's making a big difference. We've got um, ASADA as one of the client um, agencies doing the, the preliminary work with us now. Um, and we look like in February being able to open that uh, that offering up quite widely for government agencies. Exciting times in technology. It's exciting times in storytelling. John Sheridan, thanks very much for coming in and being in transition today. Really appreciate your time and thanks very much. Thank you. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. For more, visit us at intransitionpodcast.com.au. Thank you.